Hi, this is Ruth Friedman, and I serve as the Maharat at Ohev Shalom in Washington, D.C. And welcome back to my weekly Parsha podcast, Life Imitates Torah. And this week, we've got another double Parsha, Behar Bechukotai, as we round out Sefer Vayikra. And Behar Bechukotai, Behar is a lot about the rules of Shemitah, and Bechukotai is a lot of curses um, about what God will do to us if we don't follow God's laws. And so I decided this week we'll talk about the first half, and we're going to talk about Shemitah. Now, Shemitah, when we read it, we think of this as something that is an agricultural phenomenon. The Torah tells us explicitly here in chapter 25 in the beginning that what's going to happen when we get to the land of Israel, the land is going to have a Shabbat, right? The Shavta Ha'aretz Shabbat Hashem. So just like we have Shabbos, the land also has a Shabbos. And what does that look like? For six years, you plant and then you prune your vineyard and you gather in the yield. Meaning six years, you're a farmer and you do farmer things. You plant, you gather, you harvest, and you're good. But along comes the seventh year, and then the land has a Shabbat of complete rest, a Shabbat Shabbaton for God. And what does that mean? You don't plant, you don't harvest, you don't do anything. And whatever the land produces, you can eat. And not just you, says the Torah, but your slaves and your laborers and your animals. So what this really conveys here is that Shemitah is an agricultural break. It is a time when you go about for six years, you plant the land, you're a farmer, and then in the seventh year, you don't get to disturb the land at all. Now, that doesn't mean you can't eat from it. The point isn't to starve. But the point is you can't work the land. It's like sort of we we, we tame nature for six years, but then in the seventh year, we take away that dominance of nature. We take away that control. And we are now subject to nature instead of vice versa. And as the Torah also discusses, this is in some ways, this is really like a test of faith, right? Because then the Torah also says, and don't worry that you won't have anything to eat. This is later in chapter 25 of Vayikra. God says, if you follow my rules, I'm gonna make sure that you have plenty of food in the eighth year because of the way that cycles through. Shemitah doesn't really just affect one year. It affects the next year also, because if you can't plant in the seventh year, well, then you got a problem for the eighth year also, because you may or may not have anything to harvest. And whatever you have to harvest hasn't been planted in an organized fashion. And so you're really subject to, to this for a few years. And so God says, don't worry. If you follow this and you behave properly, you'll be fine. I'll make sure you have enough food. And there are different interpretations for why we have this agricultural shemitah. Why we have this rest from the land? Some rabbis say, well, it's you know, it's a time that for it, the farming is your day job, right? So every seven years, people get to take a break from their day job and devote all of their energy exclusively to the service of God, right? You can focus on study. You don't have to. I mean, imagine what the world would look like if every seven years we all got a year off to just commune with God, to to engage and indulge and and nurture the spiritual side of ourselves. There are other much more practical approaches, like the Rambam says that, no, it doesn't have anything to do about your experience of Shemitah, it just has to do about the land. We know that the land, when it is farmed every year without stop, 
the land, you know, it sucks certain nutrients out of the soil, which is why we now have crop rotation and things like that. And so every seven years you take a break, you give the land a break also, and it has time to, to restore itself and try to reset so that it can then be worked for another six years. So that's Shemitah of Vayikra. But Shemitah is also then repeated in Devarim, as many things are, right? Devarim is a book that in which Moshe repeats a lot of the stories and a lot of the laws that we have in the first four books. And Shemitah is also repeated there. But it's repeated there, even Shemitah is reintroduced, I should say, but the details of Shemitah are actually completely different. It's not about the break for the land. It's about the break in the economy and what that does to people. Now, before we look at the details themselves, I just want to note that this, this does make sense because, as many scholars have noted, Vayikra is a book that is very much focused, focused on holiness. The word kadosh is, appears many, 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 many times. And so Vayikra is going to introduce us to the more spiritual component of a lot of mitzvahs, whereas Devarim is much more socially minded. It's concerned with the social welfare of a society, which makes sense because Moshe is getting ready for us to go into the land of Israel and wants to make sure people know how to behave and treat each other and treat God so that God doesn't destroy them, which is his biggest fear. And so it makes sense that Devarim is going to be focused less on the holiness component of Shemitah and more on the practical human component of Shemitah. So let's look in Devarim. By the way, this is in chapter 15 of Devarim. What's Devarim's understanding of Shemitah? So the Torah tells us in Devarim that every seventh year we have a Shemitah, but it's a Shemitah for debts, right? For six years, people can lend each other money. Now, of course, you would when you would you borrow money, you would borrow money when you fell into dire straits. Either you owed someone money or you didn't have a good crop year or whatever it was, and you needed some extra cash. And so you go borrow money. And of course, the agreement for a debt, for a loan, is you're going to repay it. But, says the Torah, there's one huge exception, the exception that sort of overturns the whole system, which is that every seven years, that debt, it's forgiven. It's wiped out. It's like it never existed. And this is Jew to Jew. So that's kind of crazy because everything goes on, right? You can borrow money in year five. I can borrow money in year one of the Shemitah cycle and pay it back over the course of six years. But I can also borrow money in year five or perhaps year six, maybe pay back a couple months and then have it wiped clean. And it's such a such an alarming system. It's so just baffling, frankly, that then right after the Torah says gives us this system, God, we specifically acknowledge that you are going to have a hard time lending money to a poor person the closer you get to the Shemitah year, right? And even when the Torah says explicitly that a poor person is going to come to you, you can't harden your heart and not lend them money. Right, you have to open your hand and lend them whatever they need, and you may not have in your head the thought that ah, uh, the shemitah year is approaching, and I'm going to lend him money, and then he's not going to be able to pay me back. So you know what? I'm not going to lend him money. No, says the Torah. If you do that, that poor person, that person in need, is going to cry out to God, and you're going to be guilty. You are going to bear guilt for denying your support of them, and instead, you have to trust God 
and believe in a system that in which if you do the right thing, God will reward you. Even if the right thing means handing over some of your money to someone when you know that they're not going to pay you back because the Shemitah year is approaching and that debt is going to be canceled. So it's an interesting parallel system, even though the content is different, it's an interesting parallel system to Vayikra because at the end of the day, both of them are saying, you take the part of you that generates money, right, with farming, or that has money with lending money in Devarim, you sort of suppress all of your selfish instincts with it, and relinquish your control over that system and over your property, over everything to God. Because what you're doing is the right thing. This is what God has commanded you. And you have to therefore have faith that it will work out and that your efforts and you're doing the right thing will be rewarded. And what does rewarded mean here? It means you won't suffer the actual economic consequences. You won't suffer the losses the same way, right? You will not starve to death. You will not lose all your money if you lend it out, right? God says, no, this is how you have a good system and you just have to have faith that it is going to work out. Now, whether that's practical advice for this day and age is, you know, I think sometimes people rely too much on, you know, God will provide, God will provide, and then they they sort of recuse themselves as responsibility for their own economic and financial decisions because you have a lot of trust in God. It's good to have trust in God, but you can't have trust in God replace your own personal responsibility. But I want to take a step back right before that part of the message and look at the system as a whole. This system as a whole is designed to say, for six years, you make things happen, right? We know from the Torah, everyone is gonna get a piece of land, right? The land's gonna be divided up by the tribes and then everyone gets a share of their land. And you begin in year one with a fair shot. But I think what the, what the message of Shemitah really is, is that for six years, society is going to follow along and some, everyone's gonna plant crops. Some are gonna succeed. Some are going to fail. That is going to generate a system in which some people have and others don't. And when that happens, the ones who don't are going to turn to the ones who have for support. And says the Torah, you're obligated to provide that support. But it's not just social responsibility that the Torah is teaching here, right? That, that's basic, like, look out for your neighbor. But the message, I think, of the seventh year is that, but this system, it, it's, so, it's so luck of the draw, who succeeds and who fails. And it creates systems with discrepancies, vast discrepancies in the haves and the have-nots that not only do the haves have to provide for the have-nots, but every seven years, we just cancel that, right? It all restarts every seven years. Now, also as a side note, the Yovel year, the 50th year, the Jubilee, that is even more extreme. That's when land reverts to its original owners and a person would only sell their land if they're in really dire straits and they need to. So every 50th year, that's completely undone altogether. 
But for Shemitah already, if debts aren't done, so much is undone. And also, if you've got a great land and you figure out a good way to plant, still every seven years, you don't get to exercise that for a year. You just have to put that aside and remember that what you have isn't really yours, it's God's. And ultimately, God is the one in control, and we are simply here to, to try to humbly benefit from what God has given us. And there are actually some really profound rabbinic statements about Shemitah. Uh, for example, just a little excerpt um, from Rav Avram Yitzchak Cohen Cook, so Rav Cook Sr., um, in his introduction to Shabbat HaAretz, which is a book about Shemitah. He says that basically, um, I'll just restart here. Okay, so this nation in which the divine spirit of creativity is planted prominently and eternally has a special need of expressing the revelation of its own divine light from time to time in its fullest intensity without being suppressed by the worry and the pace, the passions and competition of everyday life. That aggressiveness, which is essential to the workings of institutions in the public arena, causes a diminishing of moral sensitivities. The ongoing tension and conflict between the idealistic call to care, kindness and truth, pitying compassion on the one hand, and ruthlessness, coercion, and the pressures of quest for material success, inevitable and essential in daily life, on the other hand, causes a distancing of the divine light from the collective mindset of the nation, a distancing which has the power to lurk with poisonous effect even in the moral world of each individual. Now, the periodic suspension of the rat race, the societal order, can bring a phenomenal boost to the nation when society is morally and spiritually ordered, raising and perfecting the social order. Okay, so that's a bit wordy, but what is he really saying here? What he's saying here is the way that the world is set up, the way that our society is set up, is that we're all competing to succeed. And that means we're all going to be distracted by putting in all the energy we need in order to engage in this competition to succeed. And that the very fact of that system distances us from God, right? The fact that we are preoccupied, the fact that we're busy, that we're trying to succeed, you know, that we're competing with other people, it's a distraction from God. It's a distraction from the holiness of our nation and the spiritual integrity of our nation. And so Shemitah comes along. I love the way I wanted to read this out loud because his wording is so beautiful to suspend that rat race, the social order in order to benefit everybody. Right. So Shemitah is really, even if it seems like it's a social tool, it is, but that's because the natural order of our world distances us from God. And the only way to restore, to maintain and restore spiritual connection to God and to each other is to eliminate that rat race for a year, to remind us that we're all equal in the eyes of God. Now, I happen to think that I find this all this material about Shemitah fascinating, and I, I think about it a lot in terms of how it connects to the society that we live in today. And I understand that, that a lot of people think, no, you don't look at the Torah and say, here's the social, you know, the economic system that the Torah gave us. Econ you know, economics and the Torah are two separate things, right? And we don't like to, to say, here's what the Torah says about XYZ political issue in our society today. Now, I, I, I can um, empathize with that because I think it is overused sometimes. And people, you know, will select certain material and read into it what they want to read into it and neglect 
other parts that maybe say an opposite thing. So I can, I understand why, you know, we, we try to avoid this and typically I try to do. However, I think that the Torah's vision of society and competition, economic competition here, first of all, I don't think it is self-contradictory because it's very clear that here's what Shemitah is and it spends a lot of time on Shemitah. But also I think it's very, it's not, so it's elaborated on a lot and there isn't, it's not internally contradictory. And I think that therefore we can and should try to distill the values of what the Torah is offering us here. And I think we certainly can and perhaps should consider how they apply to our world today. And I think that to translate it into modern language, I'm actually going to read a quote from Rabbi Alex Israel. This is from the Gush website. So he says, does the institution of Shemitah sound too much like socialism? Sharing wealth, ignoring loans, property shared equally. Maybe. It would seem that the Torah has a system here which contains elements of capitalism and socialism. For six years, we work on the basis of the free market with all the competition and ambition that push any modern economy. But we know too well the downsides of capitalism, the extreme poverty, the enormous gap between rich and poor, which have the resultant ills in substandard education, crime and social problems for the disadvantaged, the quote, unsuccessful in society. How do we ensure that society will not develop such extremes, the homeless and the Fortune 500 list? How do we devise a system of opportunity for the poor so that they will be able to break out of the rut so that an, quote, underclass will not develop as a permanent feature of society? Maybe capitalism tempered with socialism, a six to one ratio, is not a bad idea. Maybe it is precisely this balance of elements that will ensure a healthy society where all citizens may flourish. Now, this is, I think, a profound statement of Rabbi Alex Israel, who was a contemporary, he's alive today, he knows very well what society looks like. And I think especially to consider for Americans right now, we know what we what everyone is talking about right now and what we see very clearly is that we've been living in a country unrestrained with unrestrained capitalism the past few decades. The wealth gap has grown enormously right? The, the, the people at the top, especially even during COVID, have grown their wealth by 55%, while the poorest people in our country, or 40% of the country, have been losing money. They've been losing their jobs and living at the poverty line. The, the gap is enormous, and it's unacceptable. And I think it's okay to say that the way our society is currently constructed, the way that people have been pushed to the two extremes, is not a reflection of the Torah's vision of what a fair and just society look like. And I think that that's why we are living at such, I think, an exciting time in American history, because we now have a government that is trying to introduce massive, massive, enormous plans to try to reverse some of these effects, right? To build up infrastructure, to give people jobs, to hopefully try to reinstate the middle class that has been disappearing. And also to tax the wealthy more, the extreme wealthy more, to try to redistribute that money. Now I'm not here to stand on a political platform, though I will point out, if any of you don't like what I'm saying, note that whenever I speak about politics, I get much more positive feedback than otherwise. So something to consider. But I really think that, you know, I personally find the time we're living right now in America so exciting. I feel so grateful to be living during what I feel and what I hope is a form of a social revolution. 
And I'm sure some people feel differently than I do, not naive to that. But I think it's important to remember that we live in a society right now that is the six years without ever having the seventh, without that Shemitah, without the recalibration. We've let it gone for too long without reining in the basic effects of a capitalist society. And now we live in a time in which we finally confronted the fact that this is what's happening. We've said, no, this cannot continue to happen, right? This is wrong. And in order to try to shift the direction that our country is going, it requires everyone buying into it, right? The wealthy have to buy into it, just like the middle class and just like the poor. But rather than doubt the system or declare it's unfair or worry that it's going to take money from people who want to keep their money and give it to people who don't deserve it, I think what the ultimate message of this material in the Torah is, part of engaging in this system is that it's really, really hard. Right? This is not easy. Planting for six years and then relinquishing all control over your land for the seventh is hard. Lending money to someone when you know it's going to be, they may not be paid back is hard. None of this is easy, and none of this is part of human nature. This all runs counter to human nature. That's why the Torah has to acknowledge that you're not going to want to do this. But the ultimate message is you have to have faith in the system. You have to have faith in the importance of your collective community, of yourselves as a collective nation. And that even though this may feel counter to every instinct you have, it's really important that you do it. Because this is what it means to live in a society that can grow and in a holy society. And so please forgive me for having this week be a little bit longer than other weeks, but I think it's really, really important for us to spell out and to appreciate that the world we're living in right now really is, I think, a reflection of these values from the Torah and that we really then need to be active members in trying to make it happen. Shabbat Shalom.